What's up, guys? This is Danny Langloss, and you're listening to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Please hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Consider giving us a rating or review so we can keep growing and help more people. Thank you. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today I'm joined by Dr. Shalini Nag, and we're going to be discussing the success delta. Dr. Nag is a global citizen and avid traveler. She is a firm believer in the limitless potential of people united by a common goal. She has experienced this firsthand in her work with over 85 organizations worldwide. Dr. Nag leans on her scientific background and natural empathy to blend data-driven approaches with real-world business know-how. She aligns culture with strategy to shift organizations from reactive problem solving to proactive issue prevention. Her versatile and innovative solutions equip business leaders to embed the success delta in their organizations, breaking down barriers and building extraordinary teams who deliver exceptional results. Dr. Nog, thank you so much for joining me today. I could not be more excited about this conversation. Same here, Danny. I've been listening to your podcast and it's great. So happy to be on it. Well, thank you. And you're going to add so much value for our listeners. I cannot wait to take a deep dive into the Success Delta to learn more and more about this. In the podcast uh, description, there's going to be direct links to Dr. Nog's, uh, all of her platforms. Her website is phenomenal. I was on checking out her website. I'm very jealous. I've got a lot of work to do. Um, and, And so we're in for a real treat. Dr. Nog, can you share with our listeners the journey that has led you to where you are today? It's a, it's a long, convoluted journey, Danny. So if you think about it, I started off as a scientist, and that was very intentional. I was really curious about the field I was studying and uh, couldn't wait to get into the graduate program. However, during that process, I was in the situation where four years into my graduate program, there was no hope of me actually completing the work that I needed to and get the publications I needed in order to have a doctorate. Um, I was on the verge of quitting when due to a bunch of circumstances, not all within my influence, I actually ended up restarting my PhD in a new lab with a new team. And two years later, I had a couple of peer reviewed top tier journal publications. I had my review uh, requests, talks, everything else lined up and my doctorate well on its way. That was my first inkling that my performance is not just dependent on me, but on the people that I work for, that I work with and so on. Uh, And so that also got me thinking about the fact that perhaps academia wasn't quite right for me. So after, and this was happening in Singapore, so different cultural environment and all of that, not just the industry. I ended up moving to Yale, uh, also an academic research position, uh, but I knew that I didn't want to stay in academia. And so I was looking for opportunities uh, and I ended up starting a, uh, and growing a, a student and postdoc organization, which was my first Uh, real experience driving an organization forward and gave me a lot of insight into how to actually lead with influence rather than with uh, any kind of positional power because it was a voluntary organization. I then switched to management consulting. I was with the Boston Consulting Group for a while. And there I got all of uh, a huge proportion of all of my business experience because I had the opportunity to work across industries, across countries, and across uh, functions within a particular company. What I realized actually was somehow in the last three decades or so, the focus in business and in leadership, especially for businesses has moved away from the people process technology that was the core in the nineties to being focused on finance product operations and customer. But nobody really thinks actively about the people. So you have this brilliant strategy, but there's no focus on who's going to make the strategy come to life and bring the vision to life. And so for me, that became the area of my focus when I started my business uh, to help companies actually build out the kind of environment that have exceptional people working and bringing their best. Love that. Love that. So you, this, this is, an incredible journey 
that you've been on, right? You said you've worked for, with, with over 85 organizations worldwide. You were at Yale. You were with Boston Consulting Company. I mean, I got to be honest, I'm feeling a little bit intimidated here. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm having a little bit of imposter syndrome as I sit with you and have this conversation. So, you phenomenal. know, I always say, so my scientific background comes into play here. And I always say, um, imposter syndrome really only happens if you aspire to be an expert. As long as you're a student, there's always something to learn. You can always be the best student in the world. So no imposter syndrome. I love it. I, th- I really believe the, the greatest leaders are the greatest students. And they're also the greatest followers. That's so important. So Dr. Nag, what drives your passion for leadership? I think that it is the most unfortunate thing in the world that most of us spend our waking hours working and most of us are unhappy doing it. 80% of people are unhappy at their work. Uh, That's the disengagement studies uh, by multiple different uh, organizations have shown the numbers in that range. And to me, the fact that we're spending that many hours of our waking life being unhappy is just, is just sad. Uh, It's a problem that can be solved. And I know, and I've been in environments where that is not a problem and everybody is super enthusiastic and really working with purpose all the time. So I feel like that should be and is reproducible in other companies and locations and communities as well. And it really falls on us to ensure that that happens because no one should be unhappy for eight, 10, 12 hours a day. Well, just think about when we're unhappy, you know, when we're not motivated, when we're disengaged, what, what kind of quality do, do people in that kind of a state put out? And, and you're right, it doesn't have to be that way. And I think this is one of the biggest issues facing so many companies across not just our country, really across the world. And to have an expert like yourself to break this down and to share some of your formulas, it's so important. You know, early on um, in my career and in, in, in leadership, somebody said, you know, my concern with you is that you'll sacrifice the results for people. I said, you don't get it. You don't understand. You don't understand at all. When you take care of your people, you drive the highest level of results. We'll, we'll never have to worry about sacrificing results because when we take care of our people to very high levels, create the right culture, give them the right tools, give them the right resources, give them the right support, and then get out of their way and let them drive towards their purpose, the results are just unimaginable. And that's been my experience through, through the different roles. And that isn't just from something I've created. That's about getting the right people on the team. It's about surrounding yourself with the right leadership, and, and having people help you do that and then having great mentors uh, along the way to guide you because we've all got so much to learn and, and nobody, nobody's perfect. So, I know no one else can see uh, me nodding at everything you're saying, but <laughs> I wanted to make sure it's on the record that I'm <laughs> nodding at everything that you're saying. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Dr. Nog, what does every organization, why does every organization need to be intentional about culture? The reason intentionality is so important is one of them I mentioned earlier. Uh, We've somehow shifted from thinking about people as an integral part of organizational success to really focusing on business strategy, which includes finance, product, ops, and customers, and somehow seems to exclude people. Uh, And what that does is actually create two kinds of struggles for leaders. The first is for leaders who are so focused on what's important, which is the business strategy piece of it, uh, either people kind of drop off their radar or they shunt it into the HR uh, arena. And so there is a, a disconnect between what needs to happen and what actually motivates people, which is their day-to-day interactions, the care and respect and inclusion that they see from their managers from what actually is happening, which is the metrics and and goals for people are actually shunted into one uh, segment or one function that doesn't really interact as much with the individuals on a day-to-day basis. The other struggle that often happens is that the leaders really care about their people. They want to do the right thing or they're already investing in the right things, but they may not see the returns because they're falling into a few potential pitfalls. Um, So one of the pitfalls is they're reactive instead of proactive. 
they wait until there is a real issue or they find out that their business is really going in for a dive, profits are declining before they even think or consider that people might be an, an issue or they see high turnover rates, they're unable to retain their best people. So it's reactive. The second potential pitfall is it's an ad hoc instead of strategic approach. So if they see that they, for example, a company, especially in today's climate might be thinking, hey, we want to hire more diverse uh, people in our company. And so they decide to have a hiring strategy uh, for including or hiring diverse individuals, but that's not combined with a strategic approach that also thinks about how will you retain these people? How will you maximize their performance in an organization that has never before had people of that kind? Uh, the third potential uh, pitfall is the misalignment between the people efforts and the business strategy. So I always, in my mind, visualize business strategy as the four legs of the stool, right? The finance, the operations, the product, and the customers. And the people as the seat that actually sits on those four legs and makes it all into a functional entity. Now, if they are misaligned, it's like having the four legs in one room and the stool seat in another room. It's not really a piece of furniture anymore. And then the final pitfall, I think, is a consequence of the fact that we have made so much brilliant progress in the arena of technology and digitization in the last decade that the shiny tool is very attractive. And so leaders feel like if we can invest in the best tool out there, we should be able to solve the problem. The reason that's a major pitfall and a major issue is the shiniest tool is only capable of measuring and reporting and giving you some prompts but it is not really capable of building that true deep connection that drives motivation and drives uh, and inspires people to really get their best work done. Wow. Lots of incredible information there. You look at that tools don't solve problems. They might identify them. People solve problems. The thing about these tools is it's very black and white and there's so much gray in our world. So much gray. And, and so when we think about that, and I just recorded a podcast on leading by design and the intentional designing of what it is you need, you know, things on assembly lines, mach machines can take the place of human beings, but that problem solving, that connection, that customer interaction, that innovation, that creativity, that's got to be done by people. And, and I don't, we're, we're nowhere close at least to being able to replace that. And we should be very weary of somebody trying right? That is, that is a scary thing. You know, so far, um, everything that we can do on the spectrum of logical linear thinking, that's all the an analysis, all of the reporting, everything that is linear, computers and AI can do really well. But here's the thing, AI needs to be programmed. The creativity and the innovation and the wisdom piece of things are still way out of reach of computational technology because they work on past data. The thing is today's environment requires companies to be really agile, really adaptable, and be very quick to respond to external or internal forces. And you cannot react to these, or rather you can react, but you cannot respond effectively to these if you're not tapping into creativity and innovation and wisdom. And those are still very much human arenas. Absolutely, absolutely. Something else you talked about as a pitfall that I think you know, business leaders, CEOs, high-level executives really need to think about is that we, we, we do start to spend so much time, and rightfully so, on, on creating diverse teams, bringing diversity, and, and there's a lot of studies out there about the, the, the very best people, the sharpest people, the smartest people, the people with the highest EQs want to work in diverse environments. So we put all this front load in, but we don't think about after they come into our organization, what do they need to drive that engagement, to drive you know, morale, which is a product of, of engagement, um, to, to drive ownership, right? To, to align that right. purpose. You're yeah. quite right. And something you said just triggered the thought in me that inclusion, which is one of the parts of the success delta, needs to precede diversity. And this year, 2020, like no other year, has demonstrated that diversity is not just about how we look different. Diversity is, is in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. 
companies that previously thought or teams that are small, like five, seven people who previously thought they were all alike and really in sync are now realizing that the parent with kids that need homeschooling have very different challenges from people who have elderly folks to take care of, who have very different challenges from those who are isolated alone. And so diversity is now showing up in its many facets, way beyond compliance numbers and affirmative action and all of those policy related matters. And it has become imperative under the circumstances that when we are thinking inclusion, we are really thinking about not how do we bring in diverse folks because we are actually diverse, no matter how similar we seem to be, but how do we first create that bedrock of inclusion so every individual is able to A, bring their 100%, that's the discretionary effort, which I believe I've heard you talking about before, oh, yeah. to work. At the same time, you can hear their voice whenever there is something that needs solving, some innovation that happens, because the more voices you have in the room, the better the ultimate solution is going to be. Wow. Wow. And I think about synergy. And I also, you know, I, I spoke with Ed Wojcicki. He's the, the executive director of the Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police. And one of his pieces of wisdom he brought from his 42 years of leadership management experience across many organizations was that as a leader, you don't have to know everything. In fact, if you're good at taking care of people, right, who are doing the things and empowering people and you have enough confidence to, to listen and to be able to have the humility and the vulnerability to say, I don't know what you're able to do for, for your team, for your organization, I guess for yourself, if that's why you're in it, that's, that's not a reason we want people to be in it, is just phenomenal. And, and so, many, so many leaders say they're inclusive and say they create this inclusive environment, yet they, they don't. They stifle it. And, and one of the things when I think about inclusion and listening and getting ideas and input is the importance of leaders speaking last, right? And it, because once the leader steps up and gives their opinion or their solution, other people, you tend to get groupthink then or somebody who wants to go against what the boss is. And so most people just can't, can't do that. What are your thoughts on that? You hit the nail on the head. Um, there are two pieces and I'll just unpack it. The first is as a leader, you need to shift mentally from doing work to guiding or getting work done. So you're not the one who is responsible for the ultimate outcomes. You're responsible for creating the space for your followers to get their work done. The second thing is that you, it's almost, um, you would say, like shifting from being a musician to being the uh, conductor, right? So your role shifts immensely and you go from having the answers to actually asking the questions. Wow. So if you are now responsible for asking questions and not necessarily having the answers, it's one of the key facets of leadership that you need to be able to guide conversations without putting in your two cents unless it is absolutely critical. And this is where I think the numbers actually showcase that people are five times more likely to do their best work if they feel heard. Wow. And one of my personal experiences that I'd love to share, this was in my first project when I joined BCG. Before that, I was a scientist. I didn't know anything about business. And I ended up with a team, uh, all guys with experience in the industry that I was part of. I can't share all of the details. But here's the thing. Day one, um, they were talking about something and um, I popped up my hand almost like I was in school and I asked, asked a few questions. And then as I had ideas, I started sharing them. What happened next was what actually cemented my trust in the organization because in training, they had informed us all the new cohort that everybody has a voice. What happened next in that room was everybody paused and actually put down their pens and turned to listen to what idea I was trying to develop with them. And then they worked on that idea to take it to its logical end. It wasn't something that would work in that scenario, but they took it to its logical end, which made me A, feel heard, and which also 
made me believe that it's not just them saying that everyone has a voice. They really are investing the time to listen. It says so many, wow, so many, so many things. It says that you belong, they care about you, they trust you, they respect you. It's a safe environment. And even though at the end of the day, maybe this idea couldn't come to life, it, it, you didn't walk away with a feeling of shame or embarrassment. You felt totally comfortable by the way that was embraced by bringing the next idea forward. It created very high levels of psychological safety. In that regard, it, it sounds like a phenomenal group to be part of. And you, people are five times more likely to do their best work if they feel heard. Huge, huge takeaway. Huge takeaway. Absolutely. So should we dive into the success delta? What is the success delta? And how does it help with outcomes? So the success delta is really the delta difference between what I call great organizations and exceptional organizations. And it could work for teams or communities as well. But essentially, the great organizations are those that thrive in stable times. They are very focused on process and delivery. So they've put in place strong structures and they tend to follow them. And they have some very highly engaged people, some strong leaders and so on. Exceptional organizations thrive in both stable and uncertain times. They balance innovation with delivery and the full team brings 100% consistently. So discretionary effort is not discretionary in that organization. Everybody brings it. And the difference between these two organizations was actually very evident early on this year when the pandemic hit. I was interviewing uh, experts and leaders for my book chapter. And what I discovered was some of them were able to, within 48 hours or within a week, really shift and pivot and move into a completely new space or an adjacent space and continue to keep business, if not growing, then at least uh, surviving at the same levels as the previous year while others kind of fell by the wayside or they got stuck, uh, et cetera. And the difference between them was um, in the exceptional organizations, it wasn't one person, it wasn't the CEO or the leader who felt it was their singular job to turn the ship around. Everyone was on board and working together. And the way they achieved that was by having the success delta. We talked about inclusion, but the other two elements of it are trust and high development. So that's inclusion, trust, and high development. And I apologize to the listeners. I'm writing down. I've taken a lot of notes. The depth that Dr. Nag is providing here is, is just, it's just so insightful because you can look at exceptional organizations and you can look at exceptional leaders. And, and what I've found is it's a lot harder to emulate what those leaders and organizations do than it is to like subtract away uh, maybe things you see from organizations that aren't doing it, maybe qualities that aren't positive. It's easy to say, and I, this happened to me kind of coming up through my career on the police department with some different leaders, like, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that. And then you eliminate all those things and what's left is, is pretty decent. But when we talk about the way you're breaking this down and why it's so important, is we have to understand the fundamentals of how to create this. And then we've got to understand the individuality. You can't be somebody else or do exactly what somebody else does. But if you implement those values and those fundamentals and these concepts and you make them their own, then you can rise to that level and, and you can become that level. Or if you're already at that level, then that's how you look to get 1% better every day, right? Absolutely right there, uh, Danny, because I love what you just highlighted. You can't take and apply what works for someone else. You have to make it your own. A lot of times, I think when we're busy, we tend to ask our trusted peers, hey, like, what's, what are you doing? And then we try and implement that. And it's like taking a, an engine from a Mercedes and putting it into a Ford and expecting it to give you the same mileage. It can't. It just can't. Great, great, great analogy. So do we want to break down... The, the three components. So the three components, and I was writing fast, are inclusion, trust, and high development. Yes. Did I get that right? So Absolutely. do you want to you walk through each of those and break those down a little further? Yes, uh, indeed. So high trust is, I think, fairly well known and understood. The idea is if you trust your people and you're creating that space, psychological safety you mentioned earlier, 
where people feel comfortable voicing their opinion, bringing in new ideas, and therefore feeling heard, they are much likelier to contribute more and think about issues facing the company proactively. So that sense of ownership comes into play when there's high trust, because when you say something needs to get done, I won't always question, okay, why? How, how does that fit in with everything else? I believe that because you normally do let me know what needs to happen, this is an urgent situation or this is a crisis, something needs to get done, I will get on board and do it. That's where trust comes in and trust really starts with the leader trusting their people first. The other advantage of high trust is it allows you to delegate and to give your people the freedom and the space to do their best work because you no longer feel the need to micromanage them. 100%. That, I think about trust and we talk about leading at the speed of light and that's something you know, during COVID with our organization. So um, people listening most know that I'm the city manager of Dixon. We had a host of challenges from economic development to infrastructure to COVID and shutdown and making sure we didn't have entire departments that were in quarantine to supporting our businesses to becoming the trusted source of information from our, for our community. And the thing is, no matter, even if we had a Michael Jordan on our team, right, the, the very best that you could imagine, there's no way that that Michael Jordan could have handled all of those things. But we have very, very high levels of trust. We have an incredible team of purpose-driven leaders, right, who are trusted and empowered. And so it's not a matter of even sitting around in a meeting and saying, hey, what do we need to do? Like people... Our people, we're big on solutions, not problems. So our people see what most people see as a problem, automatically begin forming solutions, and they are taking action. And then the appropriate communication is happening. So, you know, each, you know, each extremity of the body knows what the other is doing. But the power of high trust and, and the time to build that, while it can be built during crisis, isn't, isn't during crisis. The time to be building that is prior to crisis. The time to be building these cultures that support these highly diverse workforces is before you start bringing these highly diverse people in, right? These things have to be in place. And this, this high trust is just, it's just a game-changing element of what I think are the very best teams. It is definitely a game-changing element. And I love that you brought in the sports metaphor there because imagine a team that doesn't trust their coach. And just think about the business, right? You, you, there's not much else that needs to be said at that point. I think that illustrates the issue very, very clearly. But if someone really wants to have numbers, uh, best companies to work for um, has been doing their study for years now. And up to 6,000 organizations, I think, had been uh, examined or tested in the last uh, few decades. And what they found is that stock market returns are anywhere between three to four times greater when you have a high trust organization. That's three to four times returns on stock market. Wow. And the numbers are extraordinary. And so just if you're a nonprofit or if you're a government organization or a community organization, replace stock market returns with whatever outcomes you have set for the team. And imagine getting three to four times the results. And so when government, it, it's twofold, right? So it's the team and it's the high trust of the team, but it's the high trust of the community because the community is what truly legitimizes the government and the authority of the government. And so in, in government, you know, we're not driving profits and making money and investing in stock, right? But we're providing a service to our community. And if we're not trusted, as an organization, that's one of our greatest assets, right? And then if we don't have those high levels of trust within our team, you know, we can't be during COVID landing a 27 acre economic development deal, creating a 500 acre TIF and annexing 400 acres into the city, doing a record street resurfacing project, being the trusted voice in our area uh, for COVID and COVID information, you know, supporting our businesses with, with unprecedented grants who've had to be closed by executive orders. You can't do all of those things if you don't have these types of cultures with very high levels of trust 
And, and if you've got a leader who's got to do it all. And if you don't trust the leader, instead of people taking those chances, they're going to be worried about, am I going to get thrown under the bus? Am I going to get my hand chopped off? Am I going to feel shamed or embarrassed? Do, do they have my back? And, and those things all stifle everything, right? And I've worked in cultures like that, and I've seen that, and I've seen that happen. The, the way you break this down is just, and then I can just see it flow in, in the everyday things we're doing and what we've lived now since, since March. Absolutely. Uh, and you, I love that you actually shared some of the other goals and outcomes that you have achieved in a different scenario because financial returns are just one part of it. And it doesn't matter what kind of organization you are a part of. It doesn't matter if you're a community leader, a government leader, or uh, an, an organizational leader. It doesn't matter if you're a first time manager or the CEO of an organization. Ultimately, trust allows people to get together and feel comfortable working together towards a common goal. You feel like you're in it together and that feeling of belonging and of trust essentially drives motivation way more than anything else possibly can. And it tries directly into what we need as human beings. We need to belong. We need to connect. We just need, we need to feel safe. We need to have security. All of these, all of these things. Do you want to take a dive into the high development component? Yes, because we did talk about inclusion earlier. So the high development comp component is really about the issue that a lot of organizations have when they are looking for a purple squirrel that can dance on one leg while playing the piano. Uh, if you look at job descriptions, that is all. Those don't exist. <laughs> there's one, there's me. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, I love that. Um, and when you see the job descriptions, a lot of times that's what the job descriptions when you're trying to hire someone looks like. That's who you want. And unfortunately, they're not very common. So what you really need to think about is instead of hiring the person for a particular role and just for the skills, so you need the skills, there is no argument there. But if you are able to bring them in and then focus on a day-to-day -day basis on their development, their coaching, their growth as a per on the personal and professional front, you're going to get not only a better, more aligned teammate, you're going to end up with the loyalty and goodwill that lasts a lifetime. Wow. And when we look at, so, uh, you know, Gallup did this uh, study and they published a book called It's the Manager. And what they found there was the workforce is also shifting in what they want from their leaders. There used to be a time when the, they wanted the paycheck and companies were focusing a lot more on the weaknesses and so on. The idea of a high development workplace is you focus more on getting people to work to their purpose, get people to develop their strengths, and then you put the right people in the team together so their strengths are complementary. Wow. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just listening. Like I said, taking notes, taking this all in. And the way you describe it and bring it to life, it's just huge. And I'm drawn as you talk about these characteristics. You talk about the high development, especially. I'm, I'm reading a book by Daniel Pink called Drive. And he talks about, um, you know, for the for what we're talking about, right? The more right brain, the creative, innovative, full commitment, ownership, you know, our, our team members looking to, to push themselves to be better every day and the organization to be better every day. There's three primary motivators and they're autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And so that mastery and the high development side and then purpose, which you talked about, is, is they're able to better fulfill their purpose through that high development is a huge, huge thing. And when somebody has the autonomy to do their work and their tasks and the ability to be creative and innovative and, and not to be locked into a box, but to be given a nice open space that builds trust. They, they're able to use their voice. They're heard. They belong. That builds inclusion. And so your, your matrix here is directly, and I'm sure it's completely by design knowing you, but it's com completely ties in to what motivates human beings. And the fact of the matter is, is it's not money. As long as we're paying people a fair wage and compensation for what they do, money is not a motivator. You want to take that? Quite right. Uh, so money motivates. So everybody needs a certain amount of a pay to have that um, quality of life and to maintain their lifestyle and have their basic needs met. 
But beyond that, multiple studies have shown that that's not what motivates us. A lot of times I get questions from startup founders saying, hey, I'm in the same location as, um, I don't know, a Google or something. How do I manage to get uh, the smart people to join me? LinkedIn had this issue when they were nascent. And they solved it by actually figuring out very clearly what they stood for, which was, um, if I am not misspeaking, career transformation. So they stood for career transformation and built everything around that, including you know, bringing in the best people to talk about careers, allowing their employees to switch from being a finance person to being the company's food guy, like whatever it is people wanted to do, whatever transformation they were looking for, they didn't, just, um, they didn't just say they were doing it, they walked the talk. And that allowed them to actually differentiate themselves so much from the competition that they no longer had to worry about hiring people. People just came to them. Wow. Wow. Kind of a build it and they will come, huh? And we will, we know too, Dr. Nag, that the workforce is workforce and workforce recruitment's an issue. Trying to, everybody's fighting for the, the really talented, talented people, right? And people have a choice. And it's funny because I hear, you know, from different leaders talking about the millennials or Gen X or Gen Z, and there's just no loyalty. Well, there's no blind loyalty. You know, when, when they come to work for you, it isn't like when they take their wedding vow that, you know, <laughs> right, through sickness and health and good and bad. When they come to work for you, being able to come to work as their whole person, their work experience, their, their true levels of engagement, how they're fulfilling their purpose matters. And I think what, what these executives and these companies are seeing is that they're not doing what it takes to create and generate that loyalty and these exceptional companies and leaders you're talking about are right when, when you look at when you look at you know the success delta right people that are getting that right aren't having those issues and if there are issues they're at a much much less level indeed uh, that's absolutely correct and i just had a thought triggered by the fact that you mentioned the left and the right brain uh, and the purpose ownership, et cetera, versus left brain development. The big issue with the development process, a lot of companies say, hey, like we are very invested in development. We have training and development programs. The unfortunate thing is training and development programs that are like two hour workshops, they only get people aware about something that they need to know that that, that doesn't really provide development. It becomes development when on a day-to-day -day basis, I get just-in-time feedback to know that I'm growing, to know that I'm doing good work, and to understand what is, what is good and what is not good so that I can continue doing what's good and avoid doing what's not as good. And that ongoing coaching that leaders need to provide is very critical in also building that loyalty and the goodwill, especially when the paycheck is a non-issue and it should be a non-issue. Yeah. The, I, you think about this and, and, and people struggle with this. Like coaching, coaching's an art, right? It, there's some science to it. There are some basic things to it, but it's really an art because when you're a coach, you have to have a very high EQ. You've really got to understand each person individually how they communicate, what they respond to, where you can push them. And then you've got to be very good in the moment at reading those cues and, and really being able to feel when you need to step on the gas, when you need to let off, when you need to do a U-turn, right? Those things are all, all so important. I had incredible experiences, you know, coaching youth sports and youth soccer and transition into club and, and, then, and then high school. And then, you know, through my career being in different leadership positions, and, and you see it time and time again, and that's really important. It, it, so the second thing I would, I would add on to that is just that a lot of times people think when I've got to coach, because maybe somebody isn't doing it as good as I want them to, like that's a negative and that's awkward and they don't know how to do it. And then they make it negative or awkward or they don't do it at all. 
and they're afraid of how the person's going to take it. And if you've created the right environment and you're coming at this in a positive way, this is what your people want. My very best people, when we sit down and do evaluations, don't want to hear me tell them about how great they are. I do. They want something from me on how they can improve because they know they're not perfect. And if I don't give that to them in a positive way, right, and something that's real and tangible that they can work on, that, that withdraws from the tank a little bit. So people, purpose-driven people, people on these exceptional teams, when you have the right people, they want this and it's actually fuel to them. So we got to kind of reframe and shift our mindset to that a little bit as leaders because I think there's a big inhibitor there and I see so many people struggle with it. I've seen leaders struggle, especially first-time leaders struggle with that too. And um, you brought up the example of what your people really want from you. They want to grow. They want to be better tomorrow than they are today. And Eventbrite is one example where at some point the CEO actually did an interview saying we have the happiest, most mediocre company. And when they started focusing on high performance and not just expecting high performance, but developing people to get that high performance, they actually became a brilliant company. And that's the, that's the crux of it. You focus on high development, not to critique someone and to bring them down, but to ensure that you're giving them constructive, actionable things that they can act upon and become better. And they can see themselves getting better. Absolutely. And sometimes I also find that companies are, or leaders are a little bit afraid that they'll invest all this time and energy in their people and the people will leave. Here's the fun thing in, an, in a connected world. If your people are leaving, some of them will leave anyway. That's, that's the state of affairs. Nobody works in the same job for 30 years anymore. In fact, companies don't last for more than 10 to 15 years anymore. You want them to leave with an opinion of you that makes them recommend their best friends, their most trusted colleagues to go work for you because you're that good. That is when you know that you've done a good job with your people. Yeah. And, and, and to build on that, that 100%, to build on that, you know, coming up through the police department, if somebody used to, it used to be if somebody gave an indication they were looking to leave and go somewhere else, be it, you know, we're, we were a municipal police department. So be it even the FBI or the Secret Service and U.S. Marshals, or, or maybe they, you know, we're a town of 16,000. Maybe they want to go work for a Naperville you know, a community of several hundred thousand, like they were done. There was no more training. There was no more nothing. And for me, you know, we had a guy that, that, that came to the department. He was a rock star. He was amazing. We didn't want to lose him, but he wanted to go work for the DEA. And so when he took his skills and everything he learned and everything we'd poured into him and he poured into us, and now he's at the DEA at a different level making impact, we're part of that impact right? We are part of that impact. Our reach and our impact now expands into the DEA, into something at another level. And so the way we look at that, we just got to look at it differently. So one, as you pointed out, if they do leave and move on because they want to continue to grow and spread their wings and maybe that isn't that opportunity, they're referring, you know, high purpose, high driven, high performance people to your organization. But two, when they move on, the skills they learn within your organization, now you're creating a bigger impact out there and the ripple of impact is just phenomenal. Go ahead. And to add to that, uh, the impact actually turns back and helps your business. And this is how. Let's assume that you hired somebody from company X and they are absolutely brilliant. Wouldn't you want company X to be your vendor because if one person is that good, how good will the rest of the company be? Imagine the kind of business you can get if your employees are, remain your brand advocates even after they leave. Imagine what your reputation would be like if every Glassdoor review from past and present employees is five star, right? There is an element of return of investment in developing your people that goes far beyond the work that they do in your organization. It is what kind of reputation, what kind of trust are you building with the ecosystem, not just with your current customers, not just with your current management, not just with your current employees. Wow. The impact goes on and on and on. The, one more question that I want to talk about, because our podcast is going to be released 
And then a couple of days later, there's a book being released that, that you're a part of. And I want to talk about that for a couple of minutes as well. And we're starting to get there. So, um, so there's this thing you talk about, we're elevating conversations and how do you elevate conversations to get organizations started on this journey? Do you want to tackle that quick? I'll do a very quick tackle and then we can talk about the book because they can, people can find out more about that in the book. Essentially, uh, this is that shiny object syndrome that I was mentioning earlier, where a lot of leaders now feel like because of the digital advances, they can just rely on technology to help ease people issues. But what you would recall from personal experience is the maximum impact when you are motivating people, inspiring them, helping them actually get to where they need to go. 10 minutes of a quality conversation is more valuable and more impactful than a $10,000 um, digital tool. And it really is about having the right conversations at the right time with the right people and in the right manner in order to deliver the outcomes that you desire. So I think you don't have to answer now. If you do, definitely say yes and you can back out later. Um, but I think that those conversations and how to have those conversations could, could really tie into another opportunity for us to do another podcast. Um, I, I know that, that when the listeners, you know, you know, sit down and listen to this podcast or ride their bike or take a run or, or whatever they're doing, riding in their car, um, I, I have a feeling they're going to want the same thing as me more and more uh, in depth with Dr. Nog. And so I think that that's a whole nother specialization and area that we could talk about. I believe we can, because, you know, when people talk about conversations, oftentimes they think, oh, we have, we already have enough meetings. Now we are struggling with Zoom fatigue. It's not about having more meetings. It is about elevating the quality of every conversation, every touch point. So you spend less time, but you get more out of it. 100%. 100%. And it's funny because, yeah, meetings get this rap for being bad because people don't know how to run them. But I personally won't participate. I mean, I will once, but won't participate in meetings that aren't productive and aren't purposeful. If we're not going somewhere. And so that's just it. And I think that a lot of us can drive our own car in that regard. And if there's something, a city council, may I got to go to it, right? Like that is what it is. And, and luckily they're pretty productive, but for the most part, we can choose. We don't always just have to blindly say yes. You know, there's good things to do and then there's the right thing to do. And so it's that reshaping and how do you maximize those, those types of things. So can you share with us, so can you share with us about the book, about the release, about your part in that, you know, what's the name of it? Absolutely. The book is titled Brilliant Breakthroughs for the Small Business Owner. My chapter is called Flip the Paradigm, Embrace the Human Approach to Boost Your Business. It's chapter four in the book. We have uh, nine chapters focusing on the four pillars of profitability, productivity, people, and peace in your business. And um, so we have everything that ranges from imposter syndrome. Guess who mentioned that today? Yes. And uh, all the way to, you know, how to take the human approach. So Success Delta is there. Conversations for business success is in my chapter. Uh, and people talk about how to manage the finances and so on. So it's, a, it's an exceptional tool. We are almost thinking about it as a, an encyclopedia or a reference uh, guide of sorts. And it's book four in a series. So for a small business owner, there's much more. And right now, I would say uh, until 11th of November, when the book actually becomes available, we are giving away 100 free tips for the small business owner that they can access. I'll you know, share the link with you, but it's brilliantbizbook.com. And uh, I think it's, it's been a fun journey for me. Lots of learning. Uh, definitely got over my imposter syndrome of writing a book and uh, working towards, you know, growing more and uh, contributing more. Just love that. And so, so this podcast will drop, I believe Monday is November the 10th. And so this podcast will drop, actually, I'll probably drop it Sunday the 9th. Um, Monday is 9th, if I'm not mistaken. Dad. Is it? Okay. So yeah, we could be right. So at any rate, the, the book is coming um, very soon, the week of the podcast. So we'll get the podcast dropped and the details you know, for our listeners, there will be direct links wherever you're, you know, listening to the podcast at, there'll be direct links and the details to be able to click on that 
and, and go and, and go directly there and get more information. Uh, it's something I'm definitely going to be doing. I can't wait to, to see that. There's also a couple of hashtags that we'll put within the detail in the description too. Do you want to share those? Sure. Um, hashtag power up your people is what I use for all of my content on LinkedIn. Hashtag brilliant biz book is what all of the authors are using for all of their content related to the book. Okay. And so again, that's hashtag power up your people, which I absolutely love and hashtag brilliant biz book. Uh, so you know, the week of the release of the podcast, we'll make sure to, to use those hashtags and across all social media platforms that we have, because I think, so, so here's the thing. There, there is so much that, that leaders can take away from this conversation, can take away from the depth of what you provided. And I know I've learned so much in, in the different ways of looking at things. And, you know, I've been to a lot of trainings, over a lot of years, worked with a lot of great coaches. I've got five mentors. By no means do I think I, I know everything, but the way you've broke things down in this podcast has given me a different way to look at and intertwine things that I can't wait to take back to my team. And, and so I really thank you so much, Dr. Nog, for taking this time and, and, and sharing these aren't nuggets, right? This is, I mean, this is far greater than sharing some nuggets with us, the depth that you've gone here. So, so thank you very much. Thank you, Danny. It was a pleasure. The, as we talk about this and culture, I'm drawn to Peter Drucker's famous quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And it truly does. You, you take care of the people, you invest in your people, and you will drive high level Results. I think about leadership. I think about four key components. Number one is vision. Number two is culture. Number three is strategy. And number four is execution. And they're important in that order, right? Have the vision, create the culture, then create your strategy and the execution of that, you will go on and, and you will achieve and sustain organizational excellence. Dr. Nog broke down the difference between great and exceptional leaders, great and exceptional organizations. And those great organizations are, are very good organizations that do very well during stable times, but exceptional organizations do well during, during stable and unstable times. There's 100% commitment and consistency, innovation, inclusion, high trust, lots of ongoing coaching that take you to the next level. She shared the success matrix, the three components being inclusion, trust, high development, and then talked about the gold, right? The importance of just small conversations at the right time, crafted the right way with the right messages and how they impact your team. So much, so much valuable information. To our listeners, thank you for sharing this time with us. If you found this episode helpful, please consider subscribing, give us a rating, leaving a review, sharing it with your network. This truly helps us help more people. If you're interested in receiving more information on our Leadership Excellence podcast, you can subscribe on our website. We promise not to overburden or overwhelm anybody in their inbox. Uh, the direct link is in the podcast description. Thank you so much for joining us today. And remember, always be committed to excellence.